listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we examine what you would have us to see. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 13. We're continuing Jeremiah's message to the, to the, or God's message through Jeremiah to the people. He talks about, uh, he's been talking about that they were going to, wine skins were going to be filled, that they were going to, that he was tired of their imaginations, that uh, doing what they wanted, that he was going to dash them one against another. Uh, said, give ear. And now, He's uh, said in 13, but if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your, for your people, and my eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because God's flock is carried away captives. And this was the last thing we looked at, the, the tears of Jeremiah when they weren't responding to the message. And I understand that at times. When you, you, and anybody who's got children kind of understand it. When their kids go astray and they tell them the right way, they tell them the right way and watch their kids go the wrong way anyway. And it really does bring, bring about tears. So starting at verse 18. Say unto the king and the queen, Humble yourselves, sit down, for your principality shall come down, even the crown of your glory. The cities of the south shall be shut up, and none shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it, and it shall be wholly carried away captive. Lift up your eyes, and behold them that come from the north. Where is the flock that it was given you, your, your beautiful flock. What will you say when he shall punish you? For you have taught them to be captains, and the chief over you shall not sorrow, shall not sorrow take you as a woman in travail. So here we have him continuing, and here he says to the king and queen, humble yourself. Humble yourself before God. And the king and queen he's talking to is right before captivity and they are being blatantly against God right after we get through the kings of Hezekiah Manasseh and then Josiah will be the last king every king after that is an evil king until they go into captivity captivity so Josiah is going to bring one big revival but the kings that Jeremiah is talking to are those last three kings that are leading into evil and being disobedient. Every time God says something, they do exactly the opposite of what he says. And he's saying, humble yourself, for your principality, your head place, shall come down even the crown of your glory. He says, you think that you're special? You think that you, because you are king, you're going to get away with something? He goes, even you will be called accountable. And this seems to be the problem with all nations when they get toward the end. Their leaders start thinking they're accountable to no one. Not the people, not God. This is what is happening in Jeremiah's day. They weren't willing to turn to God. It's what's happening in our day all around the world, not just America, but especially here in America as we live here, we see it. We have leaders that believe they're not accountable to anybody and do what they want in spite of anything that might come down. We're seeing it in other countries, and this is the, the downfall of countries when the leaders think, well, I've got my crown, I've got my position, nobody can touch me. They forget that God can still touch them. And this is what his warning is to them. Remember, he says, the cities of the south shall be shut up. The cities of the south, all of the Judah and Benjamin from Jerusalem are all south, southward of them. 
He goes, all of your cities are going to be shut up. They're not going to be able to come to your aid. And he says, and none shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive. All of it. Now, when Jeremiah is preaching, he's preaching to the southern kingdom. And they're going to be carried away into Babylon. And over three shifts, Babylon takes almost all of Israel away. Except for the poorest of the poor. And they are left and they will later become intermarried with the people in the area and become the Samaritans. But a very, very small portion of people are left behind in Israel when Israel finally falls. And this is his warning. You know, and you know, he tells them, shall be wholly carried away. And it says, lift up your high eyes and behold them that come from the north. Who's coming from the north? Babylon. And Babylon was a mighty army that came from the north to take them over. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he conquers them. And he, Nebuchadnezzar is going to put in a series of three kings. One, he's going to say, you can be king of Israel if you just honor me. And then he rebels and he takes him out, puts another one in that rebels against Nebuchadnezzar and takes out, a, puts a third one in and he rebels against him. And he says, okay, enough is enough. And he takes all of the, all the people of Judah away. So, because he gets tired of their rebellious nature. And he says, look at what's coming from the north. And then he says, very interesting, where is the flock that was given to you, your beautiful flock. This is kind of an interesting statement. God says, you had a great nation. Your people were worshiping God. And this would go back from this point in time, going back to Josiah. Josiah brought a revival to, 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 his, to Judah. All right? You had Hezekiah's revival. You had Manasseh who fell apart, you know, drove him the wrong way and then repented and started a revival. And you've got Josiah that continued the great revival. And after that, downfall and it says look at the flock that you were given you know, and this is something that is very sad and we see it sometimes even in the business world where uh, a parent a grandfather will raise up a company and build this beautiful company and give it over to a child or a grandson and watch it decimated and destroyed and you could probably say the same thing look at what you just wasted you had this beautiful you know a flock, you had this beautiful thing, and you totally destroyed it. Now, in this case, they're destroying it by idol worship and, and, and working against God and doing everything against God. And Jeremiah is saying, you were handed this beautiful gift. But before we judge them too carefully, how many times do we mess up the gifts God gives to us? You know, God gives us a beautiful gift, and we misuse it, uh, mistreat it, and go not and don't recognize it for the gift that it that it is until after we've lost it, after it's been destroyed, after it's been mutilated, and these leaders were in that ballpark. They're losing something that God said is beautiful. His blessing number one says, "I've given you a flock. I'm blessing you because you are honoring me. You're offering the sacrifices, the tithes and offerings are going on, and now look at what's happening." And this is something we have to be very careful about because it is so important for us when, we, when God is blessing to keep our eyes on him. Over the years that I've walked with God, I've watched more people's lives destroyed because of the blessings they receive from God or the blessings that seem to be received from God. All of a sudden, they get a little, few toys, a little bit of money, a little bit of activity, and the next thing you know, they're not, they're not following God. They're off playing with their toys. And this is what he's saying. You were given this beautiful gift. How is it that you destroyed it? And to your great loss, you, you destroyed this. And then he says, what will I say? What will you say when he shall punish you? So this is very interesting. He says, you're going to be given account. This is very important for us to understand is if you're not a Christian, you will give an account before God for everything he's given you in this world. Number one and foremost is the gift of salvation that you rejected. And he's going to say, I gave this gift to you and you rejected it. How did you use my possessions? Now for us as Christians, we'll go to the Bema Seat of Christ where our works, you know, everything we do is be thrown into the fire and we'll get rewarded for everything that God did through for us. But the rest of the world is going to stand at the white throne judgment 
guilty. They're, they're going to stand before God and they're going to see their guilt. God will reveal to them every time they rejected him. Because nobody goes into hell without having rejected God's gift of salvation. Now they may not consciously remember rejecting it. They may not even be aware that they heard because we have this great ability to hear things and not hear them. We've all done it at some time in our life uh, where we don't actually hear what's being said. Uh, maybe when our parents were talking and trying to correct us and all we heard was a bunch of, you know, Charlie Brown, wah, 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 <laughs> when the adults speak. Uh, but God says, you heard, you were accountable. You may, have, you may not have heard, but you should have heard because the words hit your eardrums. You may have rejected, and this is what he's saying, what will you say when God punishes you? And he says, for you have taught them to be captains, and as chiefs over you shall not sorrows take you as a woman in travail. Now this is, this is the picture that he's saying, all these bad things are going to come upon you, and they're going to come suddenly. If, if you've ever been around somebody who's pregnant, when it's time to have that baby, it didn't matter what their plans were. Didn't matter what they were going to do. Once the body and the baby decide that it's time for that baby to be born, it's time for that baby to be born. And this is what he's saying. It will be like a woman in travail. When God brings this judgment upon you, you're going to be in the middle of doing your day-to-day -day life and all of a sudden judgment will fall. This goes back to the same picture of Noah and the ark. For 120 years, Noah builds an ark telling everybody God's going to bring judgment. And in Hebrews it says they were marrying and, and, and enjoying life and feasting and just doing their day-to-day -day activities when God shut the door and the rain started. Judgment came on Israel suddenly. Once it came, it says, okay, it is going to happen. God does this in our lives so often. He suddenly shows up and turns our life upside down, even as Christians sometimes. Says, this is what I want, and all of a sudden, everything gets flipped out. The carpet gets pulled out from us, from underneath us, and we go sprawling down and looking up at God and say, God, why did you do that? And God goes, I've got my reasons. Job had that same, same feeling. You know, He's going along, happily following God, worshiping God, being blessed, offering sacrifices for his children in case they, you know, sin during their parties and the next thing you know he has nothing just all of a sudden you know his life is turned upside down how many times have you seen or been in it yourself where your whole life gets turned upside down by something that god does or allows to happen why because he wants us to trust him and this is the biggest thing that we can understand god does not want us trusting in our own strength, our own wealth, our own suppl supplies. And if we start trusting in ourselves, God will take away what we think we have. Just as he did Job, just as he's done many others, he says, okay, you think this is all you? Let me pull it out from underneath you and, and know that I am, your, I am your protection. I am your keeper. I am your provider. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, when we trust him and we need to keep in mind that he is the one that we are to be provided by he is the one that gives us peace he is the one that gives us direction trust in the lord with all your heart lean not into your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path too easy it is way too easy for us to trust our own ways well god i think this is the best way to do this you know i know i don't know what's going to happen 20 years from now or even next week but i think this is the best way to do this because I'm, I'm really smart. You know, God, I know just a little bit more than you do on this situation. You don't quite understand what's going on down here. Now, obviously, we would never say that to God, most likely. But our actions, which speak louder than words, even to God, oftentimes say just that. God, I know what's going on. You know, hey, God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on my own path. What do you mean, what do you mean the labor pains are gonna start in any moment? <laughs> Uh, God, uh, I, I'm just moving along. I know what's going on. 
and it says, no, things are going to happen. And when God moves in these ways, things happen quickly. And all of a sudden, our whole life can be turned upside down, just as when we get saved. Think about when you got saved. How did your life get turned around when you got saved? Peace that passes understanding, the load of sin removed from your dead, possibly various areas of sin that were taken away from you, and now a conscience that says this is wrong, that God adds to over time. What a big change instantly. And then he makes it grow from there. And at times it comes suddenly in spurts. And this is something he's telling them, be aware. You think everything's going in. And this is exactly what they were saying. To, hey, everything's going along good. You know, we've got prosperity. We've got blessings. We've got good crops. Everything's going our way, God. You know, would you just leave us alone? Just leave us alone. We're happy with where we're going. Very much like our country right now, where the majority of people that don't know God are saying, we're just happy with where we're going. Just leave us alone. And the pain of judgment is coming. The pain of trials is going to come. And people are going to realize they put their hopes in vain activities. Verse 22. And if you say in your heart, Wherefore come these things upon me? For greatness is your iniqui- for the greatness of your iniquity are your skirts discovered and your heels made bare. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may you also be, do good that are accustomed to evil. Wherefore will I scatter them as the stubble that passes away by the wind of the wilderness? This is your lot, the portion of your measurement measures for, from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. So here, we, here he's talking again to them. He's going to say, when these things happen, and are going to happen suddenly, their first question is going to be, where, why are these things happening? Why are good thing, bad things happening to all of us good people that weren't obeying God? <laughs> They'll leave out the uh, not obeying God part, but their answer is going to be, why are all these bad things happening to us? I was better than most of the people around me, and look at all these bad things that are coming my way. They deserved it over there. They were the really bad ones. This is We hear it all the time, even in our day. Why did I get, why did I get COVID? Why did I lose my job? Why did my car break down? You know, why, why, why? Now, I've been so good that God, God owes me. And that's really what this statement says. God owes me because I have been not as bad as most people. We need to be careful about that as Christians too, because a lot of Christians somehow think God owes them because they've chosen Christ. God doesn't owe us anything. His gift of grace abundantly blesses us, but it's not because he owes us anything. We don't earn any of our blessing. God graciously gives it to us. And we need to be very careful that we don't start thinking like Pharisees and saying, God, you know, hey, look at all the good stuff I'm doing. I am so good, God, you owe me blessings. And I've seen too many Christians and myself at various times have fallen into that category. Somehow God owes me because I've been doing really good stuff. No, God does not owe us anything. And this is the question that we hear from, from these people and even in our day and sometimes maybe from our own mouths. Sometimes we act incorrectly though even in, in that. So we need to be careful because it is easy for us to get caught up in that whole idea. God, I've been so good, you know, I, I've been obeying you for so long. How, you know, you should really be taking care of me. And, you know, I, you know God, what are we saying? God, without me, you, you, everything would have fallen apart, you know, so you've got to just bless me. And again, those kind of things are not in something anybody would say. But yet our actions so often say that kind of stuff. And God says, for the greatness of your iniquity are your skirts discovered and your heels made bare. Now, what this literally means is he's basically pulled up their garments and exposed their undergarments. (laughs) But he's saying, I'm taking and exposing you. You think that you're covered. You think nobody sees how wicked and defiled you are. Let me pull up your skirts. Let me pull up those coverings and we'll show people how dirty you are (laughs) underneath your covers at your heart. 
And this is something that's very, very interesting. And your heels made bare. Now, if you've seen the pictures with the Jewish people, they basically never showed skin anywhere at all. This was anathema to them. And even in Jesus' day, they they would raise their skirts up, you know, their, their garments up only to do work. And then they would tie them off. And as soon as they were done working, immediately that, that uh, outer garment would be brought right back down to cover everything. And God is saying through Jeremiah, I'm going to expose who you are, what's going on because of your iniquity, and I'm going to expose it completely. But it does show the idea that your, your feet are going to be bare. You're not going to have sandals. You're going to be, you're going to be made the lowest of the low. You're going to be made like a slave. Uh, but literally, it is the slaves and servants wore, went around bare-legged and, and barefooted because they were mark, part of their mark of their slave, slave. So in verse 23, it says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? In other words, can he change from black to, to light brown or, or white? Answer, no. Now, can we change our skin color? No. He goes, can the leopard change its spots? Again, the answer is no. Then may you also do good that are accustomed to do evil. What is he saying? That in our own strength, we cannot ultimately be good. Now, we may do good for a couple days, a couple hours, maybe even a week for the most part. But because of our sin nature, we are at the very least going to want to do bad. And I don't know of anybody who actually does good for any length of time completely. And this is what he's saying. You are sinners. You are sinners so much so that you cannot do good all the time. You may be able to trick some people and fool some people, but you're not fooling God. And this is the thing that happens. And this is what, when Jesus told the parable of the the wheat and the tares and the, the tares growing up in the field that God planted and tares look like wheat and they pretend to be wheat, but they ultimately cannot be good. And many churches are full of people that are tares. They look like Christians, they act like Christians, at least while they're in church, but they're not Christians. And if you really get to know them, they have no desire for the word of God, no desire for prayer, no desire for worship, and they're bringing evil into the situation. And here he's saying, hey, the Ethiopian can't change his skin and the leopard can't change his spots, neither can you do good that are accustomed or taught or discipled in evil. And I think in our day and age, how many of our young people are being trained in evil? It's really sad. You know, it is really sad to see what is going on with our country and the world in general, but I'm going to deal with our country because I know it best. Our schools are teaching children, young children, that you may not be a boy or a girl, you can pick whoever you want. You know, uh, They're training them to do evil. They're training them to not believe in God. They're training them to, to not do good, do what is right in their own eyes from very young age. This is sad because they're taking very impressionable people that believe what the adults tell them and believing what they say. And this is a sad thing. This is what he is saying to them. Those who have been trained to do evil. And in our world, it is very scary to watch what is going on. Homosexuality, adultery, fornication, uh, transgenderism, all these things that are being trained to people and saying, Oh, if you think it's good, it's good, it's okay. Just just do what makes you feel good. Don't worry about what God says about it. Don't worry about what your parents say about it. You know, they they're just old fashioned and haven't grown up enough to, to know what's right or wrong. So you just you just do what makes you feel good. This is what's being taught to our kids. This is what's coming up, and we're seeing our young generation of leaders having been brought up with all of this baloney, and they're acting on it. And some of them are supposedly good leaders. You know, I listen to some of the conservatives that are out there. They're supposed to be good, honest people that are f- looking for the good. And then I listen to what they say and wonder how they can call themselves conservatives. Because they have been taught 
all the wrong things. And they don't, and I, and I don't blame them, they have been taught from an early age and have never really been corrected by anybody because they have been taught that they are, they, they are smart. I've got my degrees. I'm smarter than all those other people that are going to tell me that I've learned wrong. And their thoughts are polluted. How much, how much sin does it take to pollute good deeds? Not a whole lot. Now, we could use the same thing. How much poison does it take to make the, make the dish dangerous? You, know, you might get away with a little tiny bit of poison, but you know, at some point that poison becomes dangerous. But let's take it to an even, even one. How much food coloring does it take to change the color of water? You, know, you put one small drop of food color in a glass of water, it's no longer perfectly clear. It changes. It may be very minute, but it has been changed. And that is all it takes for God to say your sin has corrupted you. One small drop of sin will corrupt. And we need to really be aware of this process that God is saying, those who have been trained and discipled in evil cannot be doing good stuff. Now, and even if they do, what are they doing it for? <laughs> Look at me, I'm like you guys. Uh, I, I, I believe what you believe. Look at, Look at what I'm doing. And this is my problem so often when I've had to vote for different candidates and I'm going, I don't know any of them personally. All I have to do is believe what they say and then you vote for them and find out they didn't believe what they said. You know, they are saying what you want to hear and then acting upon the evil that they were trained to do. And this is really sad that this is the way people are. But it is our sin nature. Paul described it with, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. Oh, woe is me. And he's talking about Christians. And we have a power not to do it. And yet we fail. There is no way the world can even want to do the right. Ultimately, when they're doing something right, they are trying to impress somebody and win something or win some points, win brownie points. And this is what he's saying. You, they cannot change. You know, they cannot change on their own. And neither can we. This is why Galatians tells us that we are crucified with Christ. Our flesh is crucified because we cannot change it. So what does God do? He comes in and he kills it. And we then are, have somewhat of an opinion to be able to live the right way because the Holy Spirit gives us power to live the right way. But we oftentimes still choose the wrong way because we're not trusting in Christ. Everything comes down to do I trust in Christ completely? Is he my Lord and Savior? Is he my Lord and Master? And the hard part is, for many, the answer is no. For many Christians, he's not Lord and Master. They, they have got their fire insurance. I accepted Jesus. I'm not going to hell. What? You want to be my Master? No, no, no. You just stay over there. I've got my insurance policy against hell. I'm not sure that they're saved at that point. If that was the only reason they turned to Jesus, and they're not ready to make him Lord... That's what we're told in Romans 10. If you call Lord, make him Lord, you, you, you'll be his. Not just saying, I believe, but actually taking the step of saying, I am going to make him Lord. He is master. Verse 24 says, Therefore will I scatter them as the stubble that passes away by the wind in the wilderness. He says, I'm going to scatter these evil people. I'm going to scatter the tribe of Judah. And that's exactly what happened to them. They were taken by Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar just didn't take them to Babylon. He passed them all throughout Babylon. He scattered them all across the kingdom. He scattered them to punish them? Or to, uh... Yes. Their disobedience, he punished them. And he scattered them. Uh, because one of the things that they would do by being scattered would be hopefully come to their senses. They were no longer going to serve God to impress somebody, but because they were convicted that I need to honor God. So he doesn't do anything like that today, really. Sure he does. Might not do it at, do it at a national class, but I've seen people scattered and, and moved away from where 
where their strength. I've seen people taken out of the church where they're putting on a show for people and put out someplace where they're, you know, whether by their company moving or them having family issues that move them. And God puts them in a place where they're no longer going to be showing. And so they'll see their true heart attitude. Well, the judgments are falling. We're seeing judgments. Well, everything's falling. Things are going in flames. There's earthquake, earthquakes everywhere. There's famines everywhere. There's torrential downpours or, or drought. I mean, we're seeing everything to destroy our agriculture. And I, for one, believe that God is bringing judgment on the world, just as he did in the Bible. But most people aren't willing to call it that, and neither were they. When bad things happened to them back then, they weren't willing to say, they were going back to what we read. Why is all these bad things happening to us? We have no clue. Unfortunately, most of the Christians don't recognize it or they're too afraid to call it what they think it is. I'm willing to call it what I see. I see God bringing judgment, just as he said and as, as he has in the past. Just like they did listen to My job is to declare that I'm not responsible for what they do with it. My job is to declare God is judging. And I wish more pastors would do that. I wish more of the... The big named pastors would get off of their afra afraid, afraid to lose their, their position and call things what they are. But they know that as soon as they open their mouth, especially some of these big guys that are well known, they're going to be crucified by the media. That's how he's tried to wake up the people all through the generations, all through the scriptures. It's what he's going to do during the tribulation period. The, the 21 plagues are not to say, well, I'm just really mad at you. I'm going to beat you all up. It's time to turn to me, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me. And they're not going to do it. And that's really all, all it's about. God is saying, I want you to turn to me. And here is your trials. Here are your tribulations. You know, for a long time in, in this state, we've had drought. You know, practical drought. Not enough rain to keep things moving. Now all of a sudden we're getting a lot of rain, but, you know, but we're not getting enough rain to break. We just have to open our eyes and say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we see the events in the Bible saying God is still doing the same things. Because I get so tired of, why doesn't God do? Well, in my life, I have watched God do all kinds of things. I've seen healings. I have seen God move. I have seen you know, devastation and, and increased devastation. And I look at the Bible and say, God, you're, you're still the same. You're doing the same things you've always done. Why won't people wake up? Because they didn't wake up then either. This just goes to show there's nothing new under the sun. People are still going to respond the same way that they've always responded and go, oh, woe is me. Why are these bad things happening to you? I'm really not that bad a person. I can't understand why bad things are happening to me. Because they don't understand the wickedness of their own heart. And this is what I've said, even from a Christian point of view. The longer we are saved, the more we realize how sinful we are if we really look at our life. And we can be saying, well, look at all the stuff I've knocked out. And then God says, well, let's, let's look a little deeper in your heart. And this is the thing that I have learned over the years. When I look deeper into my heart, God shows me the ugliness that I am deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And if it wasn't for God, I would be an awful, terrible person. And Paul, you know, most of the theologians that I have heard, and even pastors I heard, when Paul says he was the chiefest of sinners, they almost always say, this was what Paul was saying, I, I was the chiefest of sinners. That is not what Paul said. He goes, I am the chiefest of sinners. Because God was showing him who he was in the depths of his heart and realizing that, I am not a good person. We're not saved by righteousness. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. When you look into your heart, and God reveals into your heart, he shines the, shines the light into your life, you really get to see how wicked you are. How, you know, maybe, my, maybe my problems are not outwardly expressed. I'm not going out sleeping with everybody that I can find. I'm not taking drugs, but I am living a life of deep lust. Maybe I'm into you know, pornography and deep lust and everybody I'm looking at, I'm lusting after, but I'm not going to dare act on it. But according to Jesus, that is as bad and probably worse because I'm going to do that more because nobody knows what's going on in my mind. And if I could just get back at that person, I would make sure that they never, they never got out of that grave if I had my choice. All righteous people in the depth of their heart can't change. 
Now God crucifies it. He keeps it intact. And, and the more we walk with him, the better off we are. And we're not going to act out our sin that we would want to do. But sociologists ask us all the time of people, if you could do something and knew you could get away with it, what, what would you do? Most people would admit that they would kill, they would steal, especially if they knew that they were going to get away with it. Nobody was going to catch them. This is the depravity that's deep in our hearts. And even us as Christians, probably if we really were to be honest with ourselves, if we thought we could get away with it, and except for us, we have a check in us because we know we can't get away with it because God sees. But ultimately we're going, if I could get away with it, what would I do? Who knows? Usually we will wait till just before we're sure we're going to get caught or after we get caught to repent. And that's not good. Now we should repent. We should keep our keep our accounts clear with God and always be repenting and hopefully you know we get better at it as we go along <laughs> and it's not well oh I think I'm going to get uh, called out here God I repent I didn't I know I didn't I didn't 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 mean to do it but we got to be careful because you're right when my kids would say sorry I'm going you're sorry for what I don't know are you sorry you got caught or are you sorry you did it oh uh, sorry I did it I think no you're sorry you got caught and we need to be careful that that's not our basis for repenting sorry we got caught but he scattered them he said verse 25 this is your lot the portion of your measures from me says the Lord because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood God says I'm scattering you I'm bringing judgment why because you forgot me and again, we started talking about this last night a little bit. The state of somebody who rejects God when they know to do right is worse than somebody who doesn't know to do right. And he's saying, you forgot me. You forgot my commandments. You forgot, you forgot the, the, the commandments. He told, them, he told them to wear their, their garments and to put the tassels around it and that they, they wove into it. 613 tassels is what they put onto it. One tassel for each law. So that every time they saw those tassels, what were they supposed to think about? God's law. Now, I don't know if they were still wearing their tassels at this point or not. But even if they were, they forgot what the tassels represented. Kind of like us in America when we come to Christmas and we see all the Christmas stuff around us. And we forget what it all means. If we even know what it all means. And we forget that it's all about the birth of Jesus coming to save this world. And we forget what it's all about and we just celebrate it or let's go to the celebration of easter the resurrection of jesus how many people do not think of jesus at all on, on resurrection sunday our kids are raised to think it's all about that basket of candy they're going to find out, out there and not ever get talked about jesus they're all about the gifts under the christmas tree and not about jesus and then we wonder why people continue to do wrong and these are just little ways we train up our children to do wrong and not be righteous. And then we follow into this whole routine. Maybe we weren't trained up to remember this stuff. We need to be able to bring this full circle and, and be able to say we're going to honor God because I don't want to forget him. But not only did they forget him, they trusted in lies. Now, you want to have a miserable life, trust in lies. And we have a lot of lies going on in our world right now. And how many people trust in the lies? We need to be able to understand the lies. Satan is the father of lies. When Jesus said when he speaks a lie, he speaks his native tongue. When Satan is speaking, he's lying. Now, he may mix enough truth in it to make you try to get caught up, but he is constantly lying to us. And God gives us a bunch of truth. The truth shall set you free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. God is true. He gives us truth statements. And what does Satan do? He contradicts them. And he usually has 9, 10, 11, 12 lies because if you don't believe one, he'll hopefully you'll believe another one. What was the very first thing he did in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say... Eve, did God really say this to you? 
you know, I think God's a liar. I, you know, you need, you need to believe me. I have your best interest at heart as I watch you fall from God. And he still to this day has the same statement. Did God really say? Well, you think that Christ made you righteous, but do you feel righteous? Do you feel loved? Do you feel strong? No, you are. he lied to you. And the liar is Satan. We need to learn to take God at his word and hold fast. And this is very important. When God says something, whether I understand it, whether I feel it, I need to believe it. And this is so important. Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, is a truth. There are times when I don't feel that all things are working together for good. But I say, God, you said it. I'm going to believe it, even though I can't see it. This is very important. And I was listening to a pastor today, and he started saying something I've said for many, many years, and I'm not sure if I heard it from somebody else at some point. But I get so tired of people saying, I trust God to give me eternal life, but I don't trust God to take care of me in this life. That is insane to me. God can't take care of me now, but I'm going to trust him in the future? That to me makes no sense whatsoever. If I can't trust him today, how in the world can I trust him for eternity? Just because it's down the road, it doesn't make any sense. And it is a lie that I'm trying to believe. I either trust him completely or I don't trust him. There's no in-between. And this is very important. He says, you've forgotten me. All right, verse 26. Therefore will I discover your skirts upon your face that the shame, that your shame may, may appear. I have seen your adulteries, your names, your lewdness of your whoredoms and your abomination on the hills in the fields. Woe unto you, O Jerusalem. Will you not, you will, will you not be made clean? When shall it once be. So here he's saying, again, I will discover, I'm going to lift up your skirts. <laughs> All right. I'm going to reveal under, in this one he says, literally, I will discover your skirts upon your face. And this time he says, last time I'm just going to lift them up. This one, I'm going to pull them all the way up and cover your face and, and, and basically remove them. And he says, you are going to be totally revealed that your shame may be appear or be visible. God brings people to a place where they cannot stand in their, in their own righteousness. He'll do it to us as Christians as well. If we're sinning, Jesus said, your sins will be shouted from the rooftop. He says, if you do not repent from your sins, I am going to do just what he said here. I'm going to pull that skirt right up and you're going to be revealed for who you are to your great embarrassment sometimes. Some of these evangelists that have gone into adulterous affairs and didn't confess, and God has exposed them and said, this is not right. You know, and they're thinking, well, I have this great ministry. God would never expose me because it would hurt the ministry. God is a big God. He can handle somebody being, being exposed. And here he is saying, your shame will appear, be visible. We need to be careful. This was a statement to Jerusalem who didn't deserve him. But it's also a statement to us as Christians. If we do not repent, God's going to make sure that our sin is known. This is your sin. I'm going to make it known. And this, in some ways, should bother us if we're sinning. If we're actively sinning and we won't repent, God's going to reveal it at some point. And it'll be like the woman in travail. It'll be sudden. Some slip, something will happen that will expose us for who we are in our heart. And this is going to be, be the thing. And then God says, I have seen your adulteries. Again, we want to think about this. God said Israel was his wife. He says, every time that you are going and worshiping other gods, you are committing adultery from God. We need to be careful about that. It is easy for us to put things above God. And that is committing adultery before God. And if that wasn't strong enough, he says, and your neighings. Now, this is kind of an interesting word. 
It literally means the lustfulness of the idols that they had. They lusted after these idols. They wanted to do the worship of these idols. And remember, many of these idols were fertility gods and goddesses. And the way you worship the fertility god and goddess was with orgies or with hiring a prostitute at the, at the temple, a temple prostitute. So the money went to, to the god, supposedly. And he's saying, your great lust for all this and your lewdness. <laughs> and this is the idea of incest and harlotry. This is something that is very hard to understand in our day and age. When we look around at all the sexual perversions that are going around, I mean, it started with fornication being acceptable, then it went to adultery, then it went into uh, homosexuality, and now we're seeing incest and uh, and bestiality and just about anything else under the sun being accepted and being oh well, it's it's okay. God is criticizing his people. This is what Israel was doing at this time. They were fornication and adultery. They were incest. And it says, and your whoredoms and your abominations on the hills and the fields. These are the orgies that were going on in the, on these worships. Because I see everything that you are doing. This is something that is very important for us to understand. God is omnipresent. He sees everything. There is no place, as David said in, in, the, in the psalm, he can't go into the darkness. He couldn't even go into hell and be hidden from God. He says, God, you see everything. Do we always remember that God sees everything that we're doing? How easy is it for us to think, well, God's not watching. <laughs> And if we really understood that God was watching and really believed it, would we stop doing some of the stuff that we do? At that point, he wasn't thinking God was watching. Even though he knew God watched, he wasn't thinking that God watched at that time. Same thing we do. When he was in the middle of the, of the temptation, he wasn't thinking about God. He was thinking about the temptation. Chuck Smith always said, don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. When we're in the middle of that temptation, it's real easy to forget what we know. Because we're in the darkness concentrating on what's directly in front of us that we can barely see because it's dark. And we no longer believe because things are not matching up. We'll go back to what I was saying. All things work together for good and lots of bad things are happening to me. It's real easy at that point to say, God, you have totally lost your mind. You have forgotten what you're doing. There is no way any of this stuff's from good, so I'm going to just forget that verse. So that thing should be done just to drain you. Usually to put you in front of God or to test you to make sure you're going to trust God. God puts these things in our life to say, do you believe what you say you believe? Now, he does not need to know whether we believe it or not because he knows. But we lie to ourselves a lot. God, I totally believe that all things work together for good. Okay, let me... Let me put you in Job's place and pull everything out from under your life. Do you still believe that all things work together for good? To me, sometimes when we do something wrong, we're not really thinking, thinking of God. No, we're not. Because to be honest, yeah, whenever I but doing what I try not to, I wouldn't be thinking of God. If you were thinking about God, you wouldn't be, wouldn't you, wouldn't be, be you wouldn't be doing what you're being tempted to yeah. do. Very few of us actively say, God, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Now, that, if you do that, you're in trouble. Most of us, we're just going along cruising, on cruise control and all of a sudden the temptation pops into our head or our mind or is put in front of us and we just follow the temptation without thinking about God at all. That was David and Bathsheba. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be at war and now I'm on top of my roof and boy, look at that beautiful woman down there. And he kept looking and he was not thinking about God at that time. He was not thinking about what he was supposed to be doing. In spite of his servant saying, hey, uh, Sire, that's a, that's a married woman. She's married to Uriah, your, your, your captain. And he still pushed forward. And so, yes, it happens all the time. And usually when we're sin, very rarely do we say, I'm just going to sin because I want to sin today. Now, it happens. I understand it happens. But most of it is, I'm just not thinking about God. I'm not thinking about his word. Maybe I haven't read the word or thought about God for a few hours. And the next thing I know... I'm finding myself someplace that I shouldn't be in, doing something I shouldn't be doing or saying something I shouldn't say. 
and wondering how to get out of it because all of a sudden I start realizing that I'm not doing what God wants me to do. It's our free will. It's our sin nature. We're told that we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, and the pride of life. We have three things against us without Satan's help. If my mind was totally focused on God, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be focused on the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the, and the pride of life. It would be crucified because I'm thinking about God. The problem is, and I'm not thinking about God, I've got three things against me, and Satan uses them very well against us as he throws a temptation out there. Oh, you're not thinking about God? Let me put something before your eyes that really looks good to you. And he knows what looks good to us. Whether it be another person that looks good to us that we'll lust after, an opportunity. I know people that just cannot pass over a perceived opportunity, even if they have to be dishonest to get it. Then he ends with this, in this chapter in this. Woe to you, O Jerusalem! Will you not be made clean? When shall it once be? Because will you finally repent? Will you turn to me? And his indication was, even during those revivals, he said, when did you ever truly follow me? That's kind of a scary thought, because there were revivals in Israel. They were short-lived. Even when they were rescued out of Egypt, all the miracles that God did to get them out of Egypt, and what was the first thing they did when they got to the Red Sea? They complained. He got taken through the Red Sea to the other side, and the Egyptians were wiped out. And what was the very first thing they did? They complained, we don't have water. They kept complaining all the time because they never fully believed. Not, not, not saying everybody, but we need to be very careful that when we come to Christ, we stay clean. That we totally try to seek after him because I do not want the testimony, when were you ever clean? Now, I know that he's clothed me in the righteousness of Christ because I've been saved. But, you know, how many times have I gone out and wallowed in mud and done sinful things and spotted up my garments so that I have to repent and have them rewashed and re-forgiven? We need to be very careful because God's testimony of Israel was, when were you ever clean? Now, it might have been in his most recent times when they were never clean. And he's going, you guys are just so bad, you're not doing what needs to be done. So we need to be very careful about that, to not, not behave that way. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Lord, teach us to walk in your ways. Teach us to let our flesh be crucified and keep our accounts short. Teach us to repent and confess our sins to you so that we will be continually white before you and washed before you. Help us to make godly decisions at all times. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.